Mr. Tusted Gallagher, <laughs> how are you, sir? Good to have you over here. Uh, pretty interesting week here. You know, I've been in London for a week, and uh, uh, let's just say it's been uh, more than enlightening and, and pretty much in line with what we've talked about for There's quite, work. We're talking about quite work, right? some time. We're talking so. about work. WNA, World Nuclear Association Conference here in London. Yeah. Lots of meetings. So tell, what, why, what did you come here to do, and what have you learned? Well, you know, it wasn't that long ago you'd just come for the conference. You know, it started Wednesday evening with a welcome reception. We'll be done end of the day today. But with the interest from the investment community in the supply chain, uh, you really need to come in like I came in Saturday and have had meetings solid since Monday morning with a, a variety of, you know, investment funds, advisors, um, some of the trading companies. So the, the, it's gotten to the point where the conference is used as kind of a focal point for other more, let's say, uh, important meetings yeah. outside. So it, it gathers everybody. Yeah. Very high attendance, a lot of uh, uh, investment funds registered. Yeah, I think there was six or eight on the participants list, which hadn't seen before. So it's, it's you know, a very... Yeah. Uh, it's solid. I, I, the, the show itself, great, some great panels, some great uh, talks. Uh, we should talk about some of those things that, you, that yeah. we, we've both listened to. Um, I've been here since Tuesday. It is rammed. Yeah. This this is, a, what we say? Though? Let's start with the mood, because that's always a good, good sense, because last year was a little bit quiet, wasn't it? If we're honest. If we're honest. You know, you know having been in the industry for some time, and it probably happens in other industries, you get the, uh, kind of a sense. And it's, you know, attitudes of the, the attendees, and you get a feel for where things are going. And it was kind of, it's kind of interesting because the story, which we'll get into, um, the undercurrent was clearly uranium supply. And it was near-term, mid-term, long-term, uranium supply in general. Um, so not too long ago, the suppliers, you know, there was, let's call it maybe a euphoria. You know, we look at the fundamentals, yeah. this has to happen, but it yeah. really hasn't yet. And particularly the utilities were off looking at conversion and enrichment, which they still are. Those are parts of the fuel cycle that have not totally been addressed yet. We can probably have a few comments on that, yeah. but it's on the uranium particularly the production side, because, you know, UX put out a study a year ago, which was the focal point of last year's conference, that excess uranium, the era of excess uranium inventories was over. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? You know, they'd done a very comprehensive study, total inventory, still 1.7 billion pounds. Yeah. Well, it doesn't take musk to divide that and go well that's 10 years of current requirements why would you even mine anything you have to look at who owns it uh what is it used for why is it being held is it strategic you know the chinese have 550 600 million pounds very and they're now still looking for more uranium so even as the price improves i think that UX certainly had concluded will not liberate 
a lot more inventory. So we're really coming to the end finally of where the mobile inventory just, there's some there, but at certainly significantly lower levels. But then the mood is, it's interesting. I got from some of the producers in particular that, you know, they've been spending years of studying and thinking and optimizing technically and, you know, going to the conferences and going to the working groups. Well, now it's the time. The light has gone green and it's, it's a change in your business model to where you now have to go to your board who's been looking at, you know, how many pencils do you buy uh, to, well, we need $500 million and we need to hire two or 300 full-time people and a thousand contractors and go out and try to sign contracts and work with the bank. So, I mean, it, it's not just a little bit of the Titanic's got to move the bow. It's, it's, it's a huge shift in the business model. And I'm sensing, some, so what I saw was some of them then become very kind of somber. It's like, you know, this now is a lot of work. On just the, the yeah the supply side the right. uranium near term we'll talk about more but it's that who's going to support the long term growth in nuclear they had a panel on you know net zero carbon and a senior Emirates executive said really if you're going to get serious here you've got to triple nuclear by that 2050 2060 decade, yeah. which is what, you know, the IEA, they concluded at least doubling. And I think recently they've been saying, no, you really have to look at tripling nuclear. Well, that's your goal now. And, you know, what does that mean from the reactor vendors? I mean, the political climate, uh, you know, the fuel supply chain, you're, you're basically talking 500 million pounds a year of uranium assuming conventional fuel, um, that's a very large move forward. Do you, so, do you, do you think this somberness that you just described the, from, the, from the supply side, do you think this somberness, is that through a kind of quiet confidence because there's more opportunity ahead of them? Or is, is you know, kind of like this sort of dating scene when you've got kind of lots of people looking at you, you've got, you've got choices, but you, when you've got one, it's kind of, you'll have to do. You know, is, is, is it that kind of, or, or is it that kind of quiet confidence that because there's a lot of optionality, I'll be good? Or is it somberness because I've got 500 million bucks to raise, how? Well, and, and, and as you know, in several cases, uh, the boards and the senior management don't have any experience in the industry. Yep. They haven't raised that half a billion dollars. They haven't built a uranium production facility. It's not, you know, in their wheelhouse, right. as we would say. So I think it's, you know, I'm a big on confluence of events. Yeah. And, and some of it is there's probably too many alternatives is, well, capital is not an issue. One of the investor, well, investment areas now is consuming countries investing in production. And it's now becoming very broadly based. Mm -hmm. 
Um, a lot of talk of the Middle East, particularly the Saudis, the prince has made it clear he wants to invest in the fuel cycle, including uranium outside of the kingdom. Um, the word is the Koreans that were investors in the past. They were in Cigar Lake, they were at Crow Butte, and oh, there's plenty of uranium. So they back, and we were gonna be closing, you know, eventually phasing out nuclear. Well, now it's, well, no, we're gonna be building more, you know, reactors. Well, maybe to address security of supply, we should go out and invest. Japanese are seriously looking at it. The Chinese, I've been told they want more spot, they want more term contracts, they want more equity participation. So that's just one area. Do you step back and go, well, if I want to participate in that as a potential producer, who? Do I grab the first one who calls me? Or do you go, well, this is a long-term relationship. You know, can I get along with the Chinese? Or do I want to deal with the Middle East? You know, so I, it, it, I think part of the uh, anxiety almost comes up from when you don't have many options, well, then sometimes the path is clear. But when that suddenly broadens, yeah. it's bank financing, it's equity, it's uh, participation by consumer. You know, how do you then mm. well, let's, let's put let's that together. together? Exactly. But so, well, let's look. Let's look at that. Um, moving from, from this, this. <laughs> well, I say from 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 buyer's market to seller's market, and moving away from you'll do, you'll do through to I've got choices here. But you're right. They're going to have to work teams of uranium, uranium management teams are gonna to have to work out how they put this thing together. Because you gotta stop talking about pounds on the ground to getting pounds out of the ground economically, right? And, and, and be able to sell it, in at, sell it into the, the market, now pick a market, right? So, and if you, can get, if you can get those contracts, you can get money, hopefully, reasonably. Well, who knows, not all well. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things they've got to do, but. Of the, of the wannabe supposed developers who will soon be producers, do you think they all, in a perfect world, will be able to produce the pounds which they're promising? In a perfect world, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but we don't deal in a perfect world. As you'll recall, in the last uplift, the price got to 135. Yeah. There really wasn't much new production that came on. So, you know, the conventional mines were pretty much the two Paladin mines. Had some ISR stuff kind of finally get going. But, um, but could they have? You know, I know very few did, less than a handful, right? But could they have? If price had stayed there, could those want to be, we went from 50 to 450 companies, something like that, right? It was, it was insane. Um, there were a lot of zombie projects um, and there were a lot of wannabe projects. But how many of those do you think, if prices stay where it was, could actually move forward in some way, shape or form? Given enough time, and I think the structure of the industry, I think what could happen will be another phase where some of the smaller potential suppliers get to a point where they go, this just, I just can't do this, so I will then um, align with someone else who can, but, but again, you know, and we've talked about it endlessly, it seems, 
is experienced people. Now, that's not just at the, the mining side or the processing side. It's as you get up in the organizations. It gets complicated dealing with the regulators, dealing with, you know, the, the financial world views nuclear as, a, I think, an excellent opportunity. But it's different. It's got risks. And, and I think there's a, a number of these management groups, they don't, they don't even know the questions to ask, let alone to identify the issues. But given enough time, you know, you can address some of this stuff. But, the, but that's the point. It takes time. You know, the announcement out of Cameco Left. That, the, that, the, <clears throat> that the ramp up has some glitches. Yeah. Well, you know, and people are saying, well, this is chemical. They built this mine. They know this mine. But when, when, and, but it's being kind of characterized as the motor car that you put in the garage and you come back in 10 years and you, oh, check the oil and maybe wash it up a little bit and you take it out on the, the highway and, oh, well, all of a sudden there's a leak in the brake system and there's a... You know, it takes time to get these things back going. Springfield's the conversion plant that Westinghouse has been given 15 million pounds to evaluate. It's been on down for 10 years. And apparently there's been some cannibalization of some of the equipment and all that. So, you know, how long would it take to kind of get back in there, evaluate it, Where's the equipment? How does it long? How long does it take to get the equipment if you need to? So you know, all of this is going to take time, and we'll probably talk about the WNA market study. I, I do. But, well, but, I, I but, do. But there's, there's a couple of things. I sort of will reference it now, but let's talk about it separately in a, in a more detailed way. Because what, what, there's a lot of information around the demand, not so much detail around the supply, and and I'm slightly worried about a few things which have been happening over the past five years that we've been talking about it, um, which is zombie projects come through, they kind of get financed and people are plowing money into high leverage opportunity type of scenarios. And there's some developers working through the phases, but it's working through the phases in a way that makes them attractive to some sort of take out because they don't actually know how to get the thing into production themselves. And that's fine, part of the market. Then there's a lot of M&A happening, lots of M&A. And the M&A is happening in a way that the same in, like as in royalties. You know, royalty companies have a few good assets and they buy a bunch of crap and the crap gets valued at the same as the good stuff, right? Because the crap's never going to work, but it's going to get that 20 times valuation. You're like, why wouldn't I buy a bunch of crap? No problem. It kind of feels a little bit like that in this space at the moment. And I've spoken to enough CEOs off camera this week for pointing out of, you know, various companies, various M&A activity and going, that's never going to work. We know it's not going to work. But as far as the management of the companies that are doing that, it looks great because the market doesn't know any better. They don't know the detail. Uh, they don't know the game that's being played. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's not good or healthy for the industry. And I think, it feels like from my conversations this week, utilities are kind of waking up to the fact that the, the production that's being mooted as coming online will not all be making it over across the finish line. You've got big companies now who've got valuations which are insane so a bit of backfilling needed to be doing there and nowhere near the powers that they claim um to be able to produce will be able to produce will be produced so it's not healthy for the industry as a sector 
And the people that needed to wake up, utility powers, seemed to have woken up to that dawning realization, not good, not good. Um, but it, we can expect to see more of that. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it, because it's a market game. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exchange game, it's a share game, not the industrial process of give me the pounds so I can enrich them, so I can put them into reactors. There's a mismatch somewhere. And there always has been, you know, certain, when the investment community discovered nuclear fuel, particularly uranium, it added, as you say, kind of that whole different dimension of, you know, what do we want to call them, the promoters, the whatever, that really don't intend to produce pounds. And I've always said that, well, there's this other market, which is the commodity and the, yeah. the utilities don't really care that much about what your share price is and all that. They can't put stock certificates into their reactor. They need yellow cake in the can. That's the end of the day. That's what they're have, they have to deal with. So there is a disconnect over, well, look, there's all, there's all these companies that are gonna, then you, then you start to back off and you go, well, if when you talk to the utilities and they're starting to realize this, okay, now who is gonna do this? Actually, that's one of the questions that beginning to ask is not just, do you have a project? Is it permitted? Where is it? What do you have a DFS? Who? Not, you know, well, we have an, we have an MD. Well, yeah, everybody does, but I want the names of who it is that's committed to do this, you know, and we've talked about it in the past. That's how I work with Deep Yellow. And that's why I do it because Borshoff is committed to produce pounds. We did it at Paladin. We built two mines, produced 8 million pounds a year in a very short time frame. But it's some of them, it's maybe they've got a little project and they're, yeah, I'll work on it. But in the back of their mind, you know, somebody will come in and buy me and I can go off right. and lay on the beach. That's what it feels like. There, I, there, will, hear there will be that aspect. And the utilities, you know, I, I sat with one of the fuel managers last night, and you know, she made it clear that, yeah, they kind of get that. They've been out contracting, and they're being careful. Because, you know, Matt, it, gets, it can be a difficult thing for the utilities. Say they sign up with Mr. X. And yeah, you know, looks like he's gonna produce. Well, then you go out three, four years, and well, we just can't get this going for whatever. Well, then the utility is in a market that they're beginning to realize will be even more unattractive to them than today. So the, the sustainability of the company, of the projects, um, life of mine. You know, one thing, Deep Yellow, uh, Tumas, 22 years now, trying to get it to a minimum of 30, and that's becoming more important to the utilities because if you've got a 10-year life, that, unless you can say, but we've got a pipeline, we're doing all this, most of them are just saying, I got yeah. 10 or 12 years, well, okay, but if you're Georgia Power and Vogel 3 and 4 are just coming on, they will operate to 2100. Yeah. So you go, well, if I align myself with you, 
then I've got to be back in the market again. And I don't know yep. who that will be, where it will be. You know, will it be the Kazakhs, the Uzbeks, the yeah. that there's more sensitivity to the geopolitical risk? I bet. So, you know, it's like, well, the U.S. I mean, the Senate amendment to the, you know, the authorization bill for the defense, they tacked it on. Yeah. And it's an attempt to try to, as they say, expeditiously, that's a military term, um, increase domestic production. To where DOE's got to enter into contracts, they've 100 metric tons of LEU each year starting, you know, as soon as possible. So the government, at least under Biden, is trying to say, well, we've got to do something. The utilities, their actions haven't encouraged that in the past. It's, well, yeah, it would be nice to have domestic production, but I can go over here get it cheaper because I'm under pressure. You know, I'm competing against gas and all that. So there's been that mismatch of it would be nice to have domestic, you know, the U.S. produced 40 million pounds at one time. A long time Probably ago, right? could do it again. Where from? Where from? It was all over. It was but Colorado, New Mexico. Eddie, where can they do it now? Yeah. You know, the big, the big reserves, resources are in like New Mexico. It's not an overly positive uranium state. And most of the, you know, the mills are gone. If someone had left a couple of the big mills, yeah. it would be different. Yeah. But that's the problem is you'd step back and go, well, yeah, Wyoming can do some, uh, Colorado, yes, but you're talking very small volumes. So. See, see, I, see, I look back to our conversations from like 2019 where the hypothesis was put out and I, yeah, Mike Alkin, great, spotted, as a finance guy, spotted this thing, you go, this doesn't kind of make sense. It's needed a bit of help, right? We, we, we needed a bit of help from COVID, right? For honest, we needed a bit of help from supply chain issues. We needed a bit of help from energy transition issues after Russia, Ukraine came and well, and it sounds like the U.S. blew up Nord Stream 2. You know, they, it, it puts us into, you know, in, in, into different territory. Then we needed help from Spurt. Now we've got three other uh, funds buying, um, you know, buying uranium. It's needed, the hypothesis has needed a lot of help to get to this point. I don't know how long we could have stretched this. Where would be? <laughs> Probably another 10 years if we hadn't, right? Um, oh, but it better be early than, than, than late or never. So, you know, a long, long ways to go. But so I'm trying to, what I'm trying to drive to is what are the, are we at the point where there's no other buttons to press, levers to be pressed, out of the pulled, um, which are going to drive that, that spot price? You know, it's doubled in the last two years. That's great. In any other industry, you go, I'll take that say that's great. every day of the week. It, but it's got to go further. There's lots of companies that we, we know who are advertising, will have advertised 45, then 55, then 65, and it feels like 85, 90 for some companies now, partly because they've, um, the economy, yeah. partly because of that, and partly because it was always gonna be that, right? And I, I, I think now, do you feel that the developers who are talking this, this game of we can get into production in six months, in a year, in two years, are we, how far away, away from that incentive price for them? 
How far away away from new pounds in the market? Okay, well, just talking about pricing, I had an in-depth discussion with a trader who's active in the market every day. Yeah. And they said they're looking at uh, 65 to 70 by the end of this year in the spot. Okay. And 75 to 80 next year. And it depends on how much of this buying, not from the utilities. The utilities have come in the market. They, you know, some of them have looked down the road and said, hey, they tend to like to buy at the end of the year to expend the cash and all that. They've moved that up yeah. to try to front run the sequesterers and the financial investors. They realize that they're the drivers of the spot market. So it's anyone's guess, but I'm continuing to be told that there just isn't much spot material. You know, uh, a sizable request, meaning under a million pounds, could really move the market by dollars right now. So you've got to- Two dollars or or fifty dollars? The point is it's not going to be 10 cents. In other words, say a half a million pounds could move the market two dollars, easy. Or right. more. But are we at the point now, and I'm so I'm sort of pan, not pandering, but I'm sort of addressing the $200 uranium crowd of 18 months ago, is how many pounds would need to be um, asked for in the market to get anywhere near the 200, to get anywhere near the 100? Because you've got the trade body saying, well, maybe by the end of the year, 70, 75. You've got the buyers, 70, 75, by the end of this year. Rabid retail investors want that uranium 200 moments, right? So what is that possible? What is the scenario that would that would take? Okay, well, the physical buyers, as everyone knows, Sprott has access to over a billion dollars. Now, I know the commercial guys well. I think they're smart enough that they're not going to come in the market tomorrow and go, well, I want 2 million pounds a week because they know what that would do to the market. Okay. Um, we have some of the other funds. One apparently has got access to 75 to 100 million. And then we have a new group out of Singapore. They apparently are saying they have access to 500 million. So you can make the case how, of, well, how do they behave? If you're a new fund, you've been talking it up, probably should have been in the market a year ago, two years ago. Are you going to come in and buy... 50,000 pound lots? Yeah. No. You're going to come in and go, well, I've got to show that I've got credibility. And so my concern is not with the Sprouts and the Yellow Cakes. And, you know, even the Zuri Invest guys, Bram, who's their advisor, is a pretty savvy guy. But it's the newer guys that, you know, may just say, hey, I need to buy. I want to see the table Several now. million pounds yeah. soon. Yeah. So what does it do to the price? And we're trying to say, well, is it only going to go up $5 and that? We could be at $100 at the end of the year. Why not? Easy. Trade Tech has pointed out that in 2006, when we had a very thin market, the price went up $7 a month once. So that was the biggest leap, but it was coming off a about this base, something like that, it was it moved up to the $70 mark in one month from the low 60s. Okay, so you go, well, why can that not happen again? 
But I think that was off of certainly where I've heard, that's a fun and games off of sealed bids and that, that type of activity no, back no, then. No, no, no. No. No? That was called that was the Year on. of the Auction. Right. There was one producer, Which year small was that? producer, produced a million pounds that year, yeah. but every month had 25,000 to 50,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. Started out by saying, okay, here's the list. Here's like eight buyers. Mm -hmm. What do you bid me for it? Early in the year, and I'll tell you the uh, end of my please. story, it went up, it was, uh, the price was 25 cents above the posted price. Yeah. So that seller, that producer said, well, 25 cents is 25 cents. Yeah. Throughout the year, it started to get to a dollar. Then it got to $2. And then by the last December, it went up $7. Right. This was one seller that ultimately sold a million pounds that year. Right. So that's what can happen in a tight uranium yeah. market. But I'm saying, but, but there's a lot of parallels there. You talk about it's a very similar base, similar base effectively, but it's a very similar behavior in terms of that was kind of financial manipulation in a way, which manipulation is a, is a, is a bad, probably a bad way to do it. It was helped along with that by that bidding process, right? You okay? Sorry. And I, and I don't consider that manipulation. It was just the state of the market that the the commodity was becoming more dear to us economists, and the seller said, "Well, then, how much will you pay me for this?" Uh, and it wasn't, you know, manipulation is somehow behind the scenes there submitting bids that affect the outcome. No, this was open market. Okay, several maybe we're talking about two buyers. separate events and two separate moments. But I think the $7 thing was a, rang a few bells with a conversation that I've had elsewhere where financiers were involved in, 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 in the- it, There were no financial buyers. In that, in that example, yeah, the mind there is. And, uh, Which makes it worse. Oh, it's for sure. They've got huge capital. That's what I, that's what I'm yeah. thinking. Like we talk about, you know, what's happened, what's enabled the the hypothesis to become true now, early, earlier than it would have done. We've talked about spurt is a financial mechanism which was not there before. We've got three other entrants into that. We've got um, you've got the you know um, yellow cakes of, of of this world and Zuri guys and now Singaporeans, etc. It's there's, there's lots of ways that the financiers are getting involved in what should normally just be, I've got this, you want it, you, you give me some, some fair reflection. So it's been slightly inflated in terms of the reduction in the amount of available mobile inventory or inventory um, otherwise. So we're probably a few years ahead of where we would have been. And I think that I, I'm trying to work out whether that, that's clearly helpful for us investors because we're thinking, great, we're going to drive well, that price up. There but is it's not no, helpful for the industry. There is no question the Sprott involvement hoovered up, well, 40-some million pounds yeah. that were being made available. So they basically cleared out the market. You know, Yellowcake did some, but it was more Kazakh yeah. production that, you know, was taken in. But, you know, the, the, the Sprott vehicle, broadly based, and they were getting it from whoever, wherever, they could get it. Uh, so yeah, there's a, a fundamental change in the market. There's no question. And it, you're right, it brought what we all thought was going to happen eventually, but it's brought it forward. So, and, and, but, but nothing 
nothing compared to Russian gas when we switch base effectively being switched off across Europe, okay? And nothing in comparison to the total size of the oil and gas market, whether it be anti-fossil fuel agenda or the, um, the climate change agenda um, and nuclear's Yes, re-emerges as a potential baseload supplier of cheap energy as a consequence of that. That was not around 2019, right? So it, lots of good things have happened. Lucky, we've, we got lucky, and who doesn't mind? It was it Napoleon? I don't mind. I, I like a lucky general, right? Well, yeah. And, you know, At the end of the day, I'd rather have luck than smarts. Yeah. But no, one of the aspects you just pointed out, the market is small, so it allows a sprot, one group, to come in and have a noticeable effect yeah. on the market condition, let me put it that way. Now, what if you then start to multiply that with these other funds? So it almost becomes, let's say it more, more drastic. Yeah. It's again, I don't see the price just kind of, yeah, you know, it's gonna have some major Dislocations. I, I, I agree with you, but it, and it yeah, also goes back to some advice we say to investors when they're sort of getting into something. You've got to understand that the, the sector of the industry, you must know your onions, as we say here in the UK. Um, and you also need to be very clear about what your personal investment strategy is. Because in a scenario like that, and we've seen it in, in, in other industries, is the remits of the fund can change, okay? And you want to be aware of when that change is, because that, in the case of Spurt, in the case of um, Yellow Cake, in the case of any of the other guys and other people who will come in, no, no doubt, um, that could dramatically change the, the, the conditions under which you are able, able to make money, such as they say, well, actually, we will start selling some of this down into the market because we think it's reached at or near the optimum price and a, and a good return for our investors, right? And that's fine. I'm not saying it's anytime soon. I'm just saying be aware when you're walking snow. Yeah, but I contend that the volumes that the demand is going to be looking for, if you feed in a few million pounds from a yellow cake or 10 million pounds from a sprot, well, you're going to be blowing by that. Because what will happen is one guy is likely to come in and say, I'll buy 5 million pounds from you at X. So will the broad market see this more the problem problem is, the challenge is in the old days, the market was utilities, which you could generally forecast what they needed, how much they were going to buy. And it was producers that had a little bit of unsold material. So it was more, you could do more analytics. Now, you know, people ask me, well, you know, what's the spot price going to do? I said, well, tell me what the finance guys are going to do. What is the business model of these guys? Buy a little bit once in a while or buy a hell of a lot? Yeah. That will dictate the price. It won't be the utilities are buying. A, you know, the producer's chemical is going to have to buy another million because of MacArthur. That isn't going to mean anything. It, uh, the point is at the bottom of the curve doesn't mean a thing. As you know, it's what are these guys? Are they in? Are they out? Where are they? How are they doing it? Well, I mean, I wouldn't come in the open market. I'd be approaching guys that have, and I think that's what they've done, is I'm going to approach guys that have some material and you won't see it in the market. So, so yeah, interesting. 
Interesting. Okay. So, so coming, coming back to, look, I don't want to kind of bang on the, the demand side of things anymore than we need to. The supply side is a bit that interests me because I, need, I want to work, I want to back, back winners. I want to make money. I'm an investor. That's what we're here. I'm not falling over the CEO or the prospect of it, you know, and, and, and not, you know, it's kind of one of those things like Uranium's like your, your favorite soccer team or your favorite yep. football team and you, you, you know, you back it irrespective and there's some teams that just, It'll be 10 years and you still won't win the championship, right? So I want to I kind of support the teams that will. So with regards to the developers that can win, what are they going to have to do? Because you said they're going to be fighting for staff, skilled staff, technical staff, experienced staff. That's a problem straight out of the gate. They may have the money to do it. So is it going to get a little bit of a bun fight in terms of who's the highest bidder for the salary, the, you know, in terms of remuneration? That's coming. Well, you'd hope so. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, the cost structure. What that says is, goes up. You know, there, there's continued talk of ESG in the industry. Well, you know, the producers and wannabes look at each other and go, "Of course, who's going to pay for that?" Yeah. There's a cost, and and you know, there was a presentation. Don't want to get too far off, by one of the Nordic utilities at a World Nuclear Fuel Market meeting a year ago. Well, if you want to be our uranium supplier, we're going to audit you. You're going to do an annual report. Cool. You're, going to, you're going to then require your suppliers to be compliant with these ESG criteria. And I sat there, I'm going, well, okay, are you going to pay for that as a consumer? And I think the idea is, well, no, that's just a condition of, of no, your operating. And you go, well, you got to have a staff. You've got to collect data. You've got, where is that? So, I mean, the cost side, and it's people. You know, are people going to say, well, five years ago, yeah, I would have come on board for X. Well, now is it 2X? Okay, so that's that. Um, I hate to say it, it's broken record time term contract. Well, it's going to come without. So let me me finish the point about people because it's not it's not necessarily about oh the salaries double it's like whatever as a percentage of the total turnover revenue of it doesn't matter it's more about the necessary skills so you some companies going I've got this guy or a guy and gal on board and they're going to do this thing for me getting promotion I'm going to be a success this guy or gal gets offered two three times the incentive package to move elsewhere I'm now in trouble over here, but this company's now feeling good about it. So is it going to be, have to be more, is this why the kind of merger component is going to be important in terms of being able to spread that knowledge throughout an organization? Or you're going to have a lot of orphans trying to work out where, where daddy's gone? It's a significant issue. Now, I have a bias toward the experienced side. You know, why am I affiliated with Deep Yellow? Oh. Oh is the level and the depth of experience. Let me use a quick military analogy. U.S. Navy, we were in combat. We had a very competent, experienced group of officers. There's always going to be issues. Remember, what is the best battle plan goes under day one. I always had the comfort that when things started to go upside down, we would be able to handle it. Now, if you've got a group that, well, yeah, I know how to build a copper mine and I know how to sell copper. I push a button on a computer. 
um, and something goes amok. It's like Cameco with MacArthur. You know, they're so experienced. Well, okay, so this isn't quite working right or what. So they know kind of what to do rather than, oh, well, is there a consultant around we can bring in? So part of, you know, nothing ever goes right. I don't care, whatever. Yeah. And if you've got experience, that helps to answer usually the problems that arise. You go, oh, well, no, but we can do this. Yeah. Or here's two solutions rather than, well, you know, I don't yeah. know. No, so, so, I, I always, I always feel yeah. like you want to kind of um, de-risk as much as you can. You want to increase the, the certainty uh, as, as much as you can. And I don't want to pay for people learning on the job, right? That's, that's, I guess that's where I'm going because yeah. I, I think I agree with you and I don't think enough people appreciate it is you've got to have teams that have been there and done it before because it's just going to take longer. If you can. Things will go wrong. Things will go wrong. Um, so you did say term contracting and I did want to get this definitely on the list of things to do. So we, we've talked to a few CEOs over the past few days, had, had a couple of good conversations um, and got into, into the weeds a little bit with regards to term contracting. So... Um, some companies have gone early and signed a few little little contracts. Some have advertised it but not actually done it. And others will have to get into it. It's, it's complex because it's literally a piece of paper between two parties agreeing the terms under which they will do, do business. Okay? Long term. Over a period of time to be specified by both parties, right? So that's all it is, piece of paper. How are we going to do this, guys? So you've got multiple, maybe it's a share of people again, I know we have done it once or twice before, but a share of people, the types of flexibility and variables that you would like to get into a contract. Because just because you sign now, doesn't mean you're frozen in at today's prices. It means you've got, you still got flexibility. So explain some of the options. Okay, some of the, you know, people focus on the price. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of other terms, which I'll touch on quickly. Um, the ones that I think are more important is like annual quantity flexibility. The utilities, not that long ago, 20%. So if you're going to deliver 200,000 pounds a year, it was either could be 240 or it could be 160. Now, they use that based on, at, at times, the material they're going to buy, say, in the spot market. If your contract price was an early contract, cheaper than the market, well, guess what? They're likely going to flex up and take a maximum, but if your cost or your price is high, they're gonna flex down and buy it in the spot market. I mean, it's a fairly standard approach. Yeah. The producers would just give that away. In other words, the market is such that you have to give the buyer that flexibility. There was no uh, economic premium for that. No flex is X, flex is X plus Y. Nope, it was just part of the basic contract. So that was one thing. Uh, I understand those flexibilities are now down to zero or maybe 5%. Because that is, a, particularly if you're a small producer, doesn't sound like much, but if you're going to produce a million pounds and somebody flexes up, you know, that's another 200,000 pounds that, you either haven't sold, you've had to hold it back. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it causes issues. The other is extension options. You know, let's pick the U.S. market. You know, a base term contract might have had four to five years 
I will commit to take it over that period, but I want a two or three year option, which I'll trigger sometime on an agreed date during the life of the agreement. And, oh, okay, the market was relatively, you know, we weren't seeing a lot of volatility. In order to get the contract, that was an integral component. Well, so that's an option of which you did not charge the buyer. So it was free, a free option. And depending on the volume, it could be a very big, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Okay, so those, those were kind of the principal. The other thing, as we saw reactors uh, shut down for economic reasons or cut back, uh, mostly because of cheap gas, a lot of the contracts had a reactor operations off-ramp. Okay, so if my system, I have to cut back 20%, I have the right to pro rata. They didn't say if you're my most expensive supplier, you yeah. get the biggest hit. Yeah. It's then I have the right to come in and cut back my commitment. Yeah. Okay, you can do that, but that's, for example, not a bankable contract. The bank would go, well, now, wait a minute. I have to assume the worst of all worlds. So instead of 200,000 pounds, this contract's really only 160. Every time. So that, I think, is now gone. Okay, so you start sweeping those off. You get into pricing. Okay, and as Cameco has made very clear, some term contracts include the spot price at time of delivery. Now, in virtually all the cases, there's either a collar of a floor and ceiling or some of the more cheeky utilities say, no floor, but I want a cap. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't handle the volatility because keep in mind the utilities have to plan fuel years in advance. That's why they like defined prices. So I know that in three years from now, that next reload, I'm putting this material from these contracts. Well, if you sign up too many spot-related contracts, is it going to be $30 or is it going to be 80 yeah. That causes trouble. So, But what's happened is that the callers have moved up. You know, they were... 40-ish on the bottom and maybe, you know, 60-ish on top. Mm -hmm. And now I'm hearing the, the floors are maybe 50 or greater and the ceilings are maybe 80 or higher. So, you know, when you say, well, the term market, you know, the price has stayed 50, 56 to 50. Yeah, that's one component. But when you really look at some of the other terms, the market has already been tightening. And the utilities, I've been told, have been willing to give those up to keep the base price at a manageable level. So in other words, hey, Mr. Supplier, you'd like a higher price. How about I forego quantity flexibility, extension options, I put, you know, whatever. Um, but now I think we're at the end of that. I think the, the term market, let's say below 60 is been hoovered up yeah. and now we're in that 60 to 70 range so the utilities are less aggressive or they have been signing term contracts 
there being, I mean, conversion, you know, long-term prices 30 and the spots 40 when it was below five back in 27. So they've been having to try to deal with other parts of the fuel cycle. And I've heard that from several parties. But now they have to start looking at uranium. And they're like, well, you know, Mr. Supplier, you want 64. You know, I've got to kind of think about that. But the word is they're kind of getting closer. You know, does the supplier go, yeah, to get that first contract? I can drop my price a little bit so I can put out that press release that, hey, the utilities like me, and they'll sign. I mean, really, don't get me started. Um, and the utilities, I think, are going, yeah, as the spot goes up, there's less um, pushback upstairs at the utility. I've got a long-term offer at 64. The spot price is 61. Okay. But and not too long ago, I've got an offer at 64, and the spot price is 48. Well, you know... What are you doing here? Yeah. So I think we're getting closer now to the next phase of the term market, which is seven between 60 and 70, I think. Yeah. But I don't think it's very big. I think those that are willing to sell in that phase will get taken up reasonably quickly, and then you're 70 to 80. Yeah. And then we'll see how deep the term market is. But I'm continually told and this is something Cameco has said in UX, that this term contracting cycle, there's more contracting ahead of us than behind us. We're still early days. So, and I'm not gonna criticize those that have decided they wanted to sell at 55. Good on you, yeah, but, but those contracts will may not be the best in your portfolio. But they may have been necessary for them at the time. Not in all instances, right? Who knows? Whatever but, reason. But it's always been, this one, we, we, we always come full circle and so in, in the context of the moving from a buyer's, transitioning from a buyer's market to a seller's market. And yet the buyer's market was disadvantageous in the sense that the buyer could see both sides of the board, right? I can see both sides of this chessboard. You can see just your side. Yeah. Um, and if, in fact, it's even better than that for the buyers. But you say, your public companies and I know what you're telling the world you're going to break even is at. So I need to be as close to that as I possibly can while you're desperate. And that's in terms of leverage, in terms of negotiation, man, that was tough, right? Now when we're moving you know, towards a, a, a seller's market, you, it, that kind of goes out the window. It's kind of said, well, there isn't any, so um, I don't care now if you know what my break even is um, because you need it. Yeah, more than I and need to sell it. And the market says it's worth this. Right? So it, it, I kind of quite like that. And then that means that it, the, the price can, is not held back by that knowledge on the buyer's behalf, right? So now both sides can see both sides of the, tape, uh, the, the chessboard. So that's been the big, big move. And I really, I, I kind of like that, certainly from a public market CEO. There's a fundamental problem that has arisen on the supply side with 43101s, BREX, whatever, is you have to report your your costs or whatever. And the utilities are not that uninformed. And they'll go, well, now, wait a minute. As you say, 
you're out touting your all-in sustainable cost because I want to be at the lower part of the supply curve for the investors to give them, well, the utilities go, well, okay. Now, these are nuclear engineers. And you go all in sustaining cost. Okay, I will give you that plus a 8% profit, maybe. I'll be generous. Yeah. But then the problem is the producer goes, well, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. Really, all in sustaining cost doesn't, actually doesn't have all of this. So it's not here. It's really up here. And then we need, so there, that's been, but the utilities have used that as a negotiating tool. So, well, wait a minute, publicly, you've said this is your all in. Now, again, I'm an, an engineer. To me, all in means but all it in. Doesn't, but it does. I, I can make an. I can make. I can make the ASIC of any company look like anything I want. Like yeah, right. It's just you're you're moving. C one, C two, C three, all in. Blah blah. Blah blah. It's, yeah. right? it's all blah blah. But for the for retail and the numbers that yeah. the, the companies push, ASIC is the thing. The, the de facto number. Yeah. It, it it's not. I, I can make it double it. I can halve it, and get away with it. It'd be fine. Um, so, so that so in terms of the conversations um, with utilities, yeah, there's there's some learnings to be had for sure. But here, here's the other thing: that where I wanted to go, I'm well, sticking with contracting, right? It, it, where I wanted to go was there's a bunch of developers now talking the game of getting into production to get finance to get their capex, which they're going to require to build this thing, irrespective of whether they know how to put the pieces together. They're going to try and put the pieces together. The banks, I used to be a banker, I would be looking at any any contracts that the company had in place. I'd be looking for those ramps. I'd be looking for other variables in there which said, there's no guarantee of this, that, or the other. So therefore, I, I'm uncomfortable giving you money and certainly not at the rates that you want. I'm gonna charge a premium to make, because if it does fall over at some point, I'm kind of covered for at least most of my money or maybe all of my money. So there's that thing going on on that side. Plus the utilities too. When they're signing contracts with these companies, they're going to have other binding agreements in place. They're going to have debt provisions in place. And they are, you know, they've got liens against their assets. They've got their own balance sheet to take care of. So it's a very delicate dance. So no, is it true? So it's no one contract looks like any other. Yeah, but not so much on the utility side, but just to comment on the banks having been involved directly. Uh, um, what you do is you allocate a certain amount of your production for whatever length of time the bank needs, and those are the bankable contracts. Yes. They're not going to be the contracts that you're able to secure yeah. The, the, maybe the true value of your product. So part of the strategy is you may want to minimize that volume that you're committing. That's part of the back and forth yeah. with the banks. How much do you want to borrow? Over what time? What the level? But then you're, you're keeping the rest of this for the utility market where the market for the product hopefully carries the day. In other, and there is now a bit of pushback. Well, wait a minute. As the price goes up, you're getting windfall profits, and that's not fair. Well, okay, but the market... There was a recent editorial by someone that said, 
we needed healthy competition. And what that was is if you produce at X, put a little margin on there of Y, and that's kind of what you should sell at. Now, if the market is up here, that's kind of an artificial, it's not quite right. Okay. But it's all risk management. It's all risk on the on the upside and the downside, right? Okay, it's all risk management. So if but again, and I've been sitting on the banking side too, and you you, you look at what you're walking in what what you're getting into bed with, um, and and you start thinking to yourself, well, I I better bring someone in who can tell me this thing will work, because I need to cover my ass. I'm probably thinking, she's going to clip a, a decent fee here on, on this project. So I want this to work. I don't, I don't want to find too much wrong with it that I can't do this thing. But at the same time, I'm going to get the bank in trouble if I don't cover my ass on a basic level. Stuff goes wrong in the market, and, you know, but that's not my fault. So there's, lo there's lots of conversations and dialogue going on individually within the team, et cetera, to get a deal over the line for sure. I, I, I can only speak from the banking side. I, I, I can't speak from you know negotiating uh, from the other, from the other side. So, it, it, coming back to can we can we as investors tell how much a bank thinks of the um, the actual transaction by the cost of the money that they're prepared to lend this entity? I think the answer is yes. My action would be my reaction would be I suppose. Well, but again, I, be, right? see, I wouldn't focus on the bankable contract side. Again, it's going to be minimized. It's going to be, as you say, back and forth. They want to, they got to put their money somewhere. But again, it, it's not the project. It's not the production. It's part of how you get the capital. But it's how do you commit the rest of your production? To me, is much more important. Have you sold it at a defined price? Have you done a cap? Have you got a ceiling on it? You know, it's the Camago price sensitivity table. That I think is what's important for the investors it is, you know, let's look at NextGen. They've been very public and they've said, we're gonna sell at the spot price, time of delivery, no floor, no ceiling. Away we go. We believe in the spot market and by God, that's what we're gonna get. The utilities, everybody's saying, well, next gen will come in, they will play a huge role in the term market. The utilities, trust me, aren't at that full spot price with no floors and ceilings for a big part potentially of their production, yeah. but that's, but that's you know. A, that's a kind of easy thing to say when you're new in your production, right? Because you can change your mind down the line. But it's quite good in terms of getting a very strong message over well, into the marketplace, which I think is, is what it is. Making those kind of decisions now, I think, is, well, no. I, I'm not sure I'm a buyer, but whatever. It's, there's game to play, and I, I do appreciate it. Um, I wish we talked more about the banking side. I think there's this fun and games there, isn't it? Uh, okay, so, okay, we covered, I think, a, a lot on the term sheet side, but probably enough for people that might overload a few people on, on this. So coming back to the conference, the meetings that you've had, we know we've, we've talked about the mood of the nation here. Um, there's another conference coming up shortly, November in the U.S. Where yeah, was it? Charlotte? Late October in Charlotte. Charlotte, okay. Which will be heavily you. There's only two U.S. utilities here. There are loads of so utilities here, but they only will two be in US. Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, what happens at that conference that doesn't happen at this conference? Because we talk every year about it's always September, November. It's this is the year, folks. But here we are. 
So what do you, what do you think is going to happen by the end of this um, It helps all of these conferences have been very positive. The Kind of the main theme here was a, a transition from nu nuclear could be part of the solution to nuclear has to be part. And, the, you know, the reference case forecast now is 3.6% a year. I mean, it was 1%. Not too long ago, so I mean, even the reference case is is more positive. So that's the story: net zero carbon, and on and on, triple, you know, whatever the, the it is. But it's more of a we're no longer kind of a theoretical. Gee, we could build some nuclear. Now it's well, yeah, we really, which is in keeping with you know more and more of the government policies. We need SMRs. They're moving forward. You know, there's been skepticism. Show me the orders. Well, they're out buying fuel. Some of them are sending out requests for fuel bids for deliveries 26, 27. Everybody goes, well, it's 2030 or later. You've got to build the fuel, acquire the uranium a lot sooner than that. So that demand complement is starting to, and again, we're moving from the theoretical to actual requests yeah. from the SMR guys. Yeah. Uh, and then the underlying theme is supply. Not necessarily the presentations, although the fuel report, but all of the discussions. I don't care if it's for traders, the financial guys, the investment community, everybody is, well, where is this gonna come from? And how are we gonna get there? And a realization it won't be everybody. You have that list, but then you go, you know, you've got to eliminate some of these guys. And, and there's the term used in the presentation on the market report is there has to be intense uranium development. Now, that's not a technical term. I don't know what that means, but it's not when we get around to it anymore. And, and the message from the group was time, the, ta the, the clock is ticking. And until we get those contracts that support the bank financing, the whatever, guess what? Nothing is moving ahead. It'll get to a certain point and then it stops. You know, Bannerman, they just brought in outside advisors to look at an optimum financing strategy so, you know, people are beginning to look at that, but until the utilities go, yeah, I don't like it, but that $64, here you, okay, here you go. Yeah. And then the next guy in line says 70. Well, I don't like it, but, yeah. you know, I've looked around, and if I don't do this, that machine could sit there and not make any noise, yeah. and that you cannot have that. That, that's, that is not... That is not a viable scenario for any nuclear utility. So, so yeah, but we've talked about it. You said five years. We were, I was having a talk with Andre Leibenberg at Yellow Keg. We said, well, 2018, this is what we said was going to happen. And the price has tripled. I mean, it was 20 and now it's 60. Took a little longer. We never put a time horizon on it, but just the fundamentals. We were moving and then it's been supercharged. Yeah. I mean, in the last 18 months, so... The pantry is running bare. There's just not a lot of stuff. You know, The Economist says, well, the inventory eventually 
will deplete or someone will hold on to it more dearly and not just go, oh, yeah, well, back and forth in the market. No, it's, we're beyond that. So. Well, so this is the year. This is the year. This is the year. Next year, we'll be saying, well, the price is, you know, we saw it coming. Oh, no. I want to be having this conversation for another five years. I know. I do not. Uh, Thank you very much for coming in and joining us. I know you've been busy and much in demand, and you still haven't finished. Always going to make time for Crux. Well, no question. Let's go. Say hello to uh, Mr. Borshoff. I will. I'm ashamed to miss him this week, but I would... We would, um, we'll, we'll catch up and pass him up on the fly, the as they say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Okay, okay, we'll see you soon. All right, good to be here. Thank you.